Well, good morning again. Welcome to Faith Church. If you're kind of new or just tuning in, my name is Matthew, one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to get to open some scripture with you. If you have your Bible, join me in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17 is where we'll be today. If uh, you'd like to follow along digitally, you can grab your phone, scan the QR code on the screen, take you to our central hub where you can follow along um, with the scriptures. You can take some of your own notes if you'd like, email it to yourself. Um, it's a great way to just interact and follow along. We've been in this collection for a little while of messages where we're talking about the King Jesus gospel, looking at what Jesus did, what he taught, what he represented, what he revealed, so that we know what that good news is that he proclaims so that we can proclaim it, so that we can live out and grab and be partners and partakers of the kingdom of God as well. Matthew 17, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. Six days after Jesus took Peter and two brothers, James and John, and led them up on a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched Jesus' appearance, it was transformed. Somebody say transformed. So that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses... And Elijah appeared before them, talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's so wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and even one for Elijah. But even as he spoke this, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified, and they fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and he touched them, said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone and they only saw Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the son of man has been raised from the dead. Then his disciples asked him, why do the teachers of the religious law insist that Elijah must come and return before the Messiah comes? Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he didn't, he wasn't recognized. And they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the son of man suffer. Then the disciples realized he was talking about John the Baptist. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was awaiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Jesus said, you're faithless and corrupt people. How long must I be with you? And how long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon. 
in the boy. And it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out the demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you have faith even as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Let's pray. Jesus, these are your words. God, you are the God of the impossible. May we not be a faithless generation, but a faithful generation. May we hear your words, take them to heart, and apply them into our lives. We thank you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Rarely am I a uh, either-or kind of a guy. I tend to be a both-and in life, a both-and kind of guy. Like, like, Pastor, would you rather have cookies or brownies? Yes. <laughs> and add ice cream because I'm just extra like that. I want both, and it's not an either-or equation. The, the longer I've spent time with the Lord, the longer I've walked this life and studied scripture, when it comes to theological and biblical truths, I tend to find myself being, again, more of a both and, not an either or kind of a person. Like, is it both that God adopts us or do we accept him as our Lord? Yeah, both and. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Is, is it that we should be people who are um, after the presence of God and we just experience God and we, we're after the power of God? Or is church and the people of God meant to be, be people who are disciples and we hear the word and we know God and if it's, it's only the Bible, it's Bible teaching only and no experience. And others are like, oh, it's all experience and no no Bible. It's, it's my emotions as opposed to my faith. And friends, it's not an either or equation. It's a both and. It's both and. It's not either, it's not either or. Lately for me, there's been one that I've been continually aware of, and the Lord has kind of been pressing this in my own heart lately, is the difference between, on one hand, the partnership and the participation and the contribution that we bring to the kingdom but on the other hand, the reality that God is the one who produces results. He doesn't require our participation, but he invites our participation. And he works in spite of our participation for his goodwill and for the things that he's called us to do. It's both and not either or. And oftentimes in my life, and I've been in this season lately where I have found myself putting more trust in my contribution than in the power of God to produce what he wants to produce. For me, sometimes it boils as simply and practically down to uh, social media. I love being present on social media. I love producing content and contributing to the conversation and contributing to you having faith every day. I love being pastorally present and engaging with people, but I can put too much trust in those efforts rather than fully relying on the truth and the power of what God is at work doing. As if God has to have my contribution in order for his purposes to be seen. 
It's both and, but sometimes when our hearts are more leaning in one direction, he pulls us back to the other direction. In fact, that's one of the reasons, just by way of full transparency and, and, and confession, um, earlier this week, I, I, I had, the Lord had me delete all of my social media off my phone. So for the next foreseeable future, your, your, your pastor is slipping into the abyss of radio silence <laughs> on the interwebs. How long? I don't know. Is it wrong to contribute to things online? No, not at all. I, I, I think there's a value and a space there, but it's not wrong for other people. But I know in my heart lately, oh, I can easily slip into my contribution as opposed to God's outcomes. It's not either or. It's still both and, but we have to hold both of them in tension. We have to hold these truths in tension. We have to hold two things at the same time. There is truth that we hold in one hand and sometimes truth that seems paradoxical or opposite but still true on the other hand. And the more we hold both of the weights of these truths found in God's word, it is tension that is often created in our lives as we follow God. Is it this? Is it that? And it's a little bit of both. And for those of you who work out and understand weightlifting, time under tension is actually what produces real strength. It's spending the time under the tension that actually develops something of strength in our life. I, I want to talk to you today from this text that we read about three kind of ideas that we need to hold all together. I want to talk to you about mountains. I want to talk to you about identity. And I want to talk to you about strength. Turn to your neighbor and tell them mountains. Turn to your other neighbor that's your second choice and tell them identity. Yeah, and to the person in front of you whose back of the head you're staring at, just shout strength. Go ahead. Strength. There it is. Some of you, your hair like went this way because there was a lot of air. Mountains, identity, and strength. What, what we see here in this text is that Jesus, along with some of his disciples, climbed a mountain. They didn't all go. Only some of them decided to go. And on top of the mountain, there awaited them a transcendent experience with God. In fact, the Bible says that it was Christ being transfigured. Literally, he was transforming and they were seeing a side of reality that previously they could not see. There was something transcendent they were experiencing on top of the mountain that was giving them a different perspective. Friends, on the mountains of our lives, the mountain peaks of our lives, the mountain moments in our lives, there awaits a fresh perspective from heaven. You'll notice that throughout scripture, I really do believe that mountains become a metaphor for our faith. You may uh, notice that our logo as a church, Faith Church, our logo is three mountain peaks, which is really peculiar for a church in the fields of Kansas. And you might be wondering yourself, why in the world do we have mountains in our logo as a church? And if you're sincerely wondering that question, that reveals something to me, that you've never been through growth track where we tell you in detail why we have mountains as our logo. 
And why? There's no real significance to the number three, though. Some, of you, some people have asked, Pastor, is there a reason? Like, what are you trying to say with three mountains? Well, three looked cooler than two, and one just looked awkward. <laughs> That's why. There's no real spiritual significance other than, though, I will say, mountains themselves, all throughout Scripture, there are mountaintop experiences that give us a perspective of heaven that you don't see until you get to the mountain and you're looking with eyes of faith. Jesus, in this passage, talked about if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. You know what's smaller than a mustard seed? Nothing. The only thing smaller than a mustard seed is having nothing in your hand. So in other words, the mustard seed is the measure of faith that God deals to every person. It's there. And that's enough to see some of the mountains and obstacles in your life shift and move because there is a loyal allegiance to Jesus in that moment. The Bible talks about how mountains and things that occur on the mountains are transformative and cruciform of nature in our own faith and life. And we know that the rock of our salvation is Jesus, and it's on him that we build a solid life of faith. Amen. Mountains all through scripture have an important reference in pointing us to understand some things of faith. If you've ever climbed a mountain, though, you know that on top of the mountain, you see with a perspective, a big picture view that you don't have when you're down in the valley. There are some things you don't see, don't notice, and things that you think smallly of when you're down at the bottom. But when you get up to the grandeur of the peaks and the heights, you can see with a fresh perspective some things that you didn't see previously. But only if you go up the mountain. One of the things that is happening here in this passage is Peter and the other disciples are seeing some things from heaven's perspective that they previously didn't get to see. Things were veiled and God was unveiling their eyes and Jesus himself was transfigured and his glory and his radiance and his very likeness started shining so bright. There was something different that they saw. They had a new perspective in this moment. And it, it's such a beautiful thing. This is actually the, the third or fourth time now in Matthew's gospel that he's bringing about this link revealing something about Jesus being the Messiah. We've talked about it before. Who was it that appeared on this mountain with Jesus? Well, there was Moses and Elijah. Moses is an Old Testament dude who represents and brought about the law of God. Elijah was a prophet. He is picturing here the moment of the people and the prophets of God that came and brought a message that pointed everyone to Jesus. What's the faith perspective the disciples are seeing? Here's the perspective. That in Jesus, you have the fulfillment of all of the law requirements. And in Jesus, you have a living embodied message that you believe in, that everything of the prophets pointed to Jesus. Jesus is the culmination, the fulfillment, the climax of the story of God redeeming his people. And our faith is keenly shaped, friends, by our understanding that God redeems people. The law and the prophets are coinciding with Jesus in this moment on the mountaintop. 
and their perspective of faith is being shifted. It's in these mountaintop moments, though, that not only does our, our, our perspective shift where we get a perspective of heaven that maybe we didn't have before, an understanding about life and what God is doing that we didn't have before, but there are mountaintop experiences that are absolutely transcendent for us. Moments where you personally encounter God in such a powerful way that you are left with this sense of awe. These are the moments where you experience the manifest presence of God. There is a difference between the abiding presence of God and the manifest presence of God. Both are biblical. The abiding presence of God is the peace that you have in your heart knowing that, that the spirit of God lives in you. The abiding presence of God is the understanding that what Jesus did, what he did on the cross, you put your faith in him, his spirit comes and lives on the inside of you. So everywhere you go, my friends, Jesus' spirit goes with you. So that at any moment in time when the world is telling you to not be at peace, you can have peace like a river that attends your way. There's something that even though sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot is telling me, it is well with my soul because his abiding presence is in us and with us. His abiding presence is with you. But there is a difference and a distinction and something that happens when the people of God who carry the abiding presence of God come and on the other hand, they gather. They climb the mountain with their praises. They lift their hands in worship. They avail and open themselves up to the manifest presence of God where God begins to do work and experience on the outside that impacts us. In those moments, there's a manifest presence of God. This is what's happening here. In fact, the manifest presence of God is so strong, so powerful, so mighty, that the disciples themselves fall on their face before God. Typically, in the New Testament, when it talks about God's presence manifesting, it's because the preaching of God's word occurs. You see that through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there's a presence of God coming where the people of God gather to worship God. Friends, when we tell you to clap, when we encourage you to lift your hands, when we ask you to sing, when we bow before the Lord, when we shout joyfully to the God of our salvation, we are giving acts of worship to God that invite his manifest presence to be among us and moving. That's why some of you walk in this room and you're hearing the presence of God and hearing the word speak and your eyeballs can't help but fill with liquid. And you start sweating from your eyeballs and your nose is running and something transcendent is happening to you. It's coming up upon you. What is that? That is the manifest presence of God. It was October 31st. I was in eighth grade. I went to a private Christian school, and every Tuesday and Thursday, we had chapel. We would worship in the morning, and it was a part of our day, and we would get back into class and move about. And we had finished lunch, and after lunch, I, I would go to the third floor, and I would attend Miss Roundtree's Earth Science. Miss Roundtree, which, again, get the comedy, Roundtree taught Earth Science, and she was as round as her name. <laughs> The irony was amazing. I loved Miss Roundtree. She was sweet and sarcastic and sassy as ever. I hate science, but I loved Miss Roundtree's class. And I remember on that day climbing up to the third floor, going on my way to Miss Roundtree's class from lunch, opening the door, 
And as I walk into the hallways, there is a tangible, visible, weighty presence in those hallways. Come to find out, there were a bunch of seniors who had spent their lunch hour worshiping and praying. It was an upper room kind of a moment. It was holy. There were students, teenagers on the floor crying. There were some laying still. Some were laughing. Some were, were just in this moment of reverential presence before the Lord. It was difficult to walk down those halls. What happened? The abiding presence of God became the manifest presence of God. They ended up canceling class the rest of the day. We moved everything down to a larger room and all of the student body in the middle school and high school, we gathered and we worshiped and we prayed for the rest of the day. I will never forget moments in summer camps and conferences and times of personal worship and worship in this very room where I have had places and moments of encounter of the presence that was manifest of God in the moment of worship. Friends here at Faith Church, can I just be really, really clear? We are a people in full pursuit of the manifest presence of God every time we gather. But it's not an either or. It's a both and. Because we're going to open up scriptures and you're going to hear the truth. Like it or not. We're going to grow in our discipleship. I believe that we need to encounter the power of the Spirit, and we need to be equipped in our knowledge of the Spirit. It's both and not either or. But there are mountaintop moments that await you where you experience the presence of God, where the veil of heaven is moved back, and you behold the glory of God on your own. Where it's not just calisthenics, it's not just some ritual, we're not here just to be reverent. In fact, can I just say it like this? I think standing still and not singing and not lifting your hands and not clapping and not giving God praise the way he tells us to is more irreverent than you standing still thinking you're being reverent. Because the God of the universe has told you what it looks like to pour your love out to him. And many of us walk into his presence and be like, yeah, that's not my personality. I don't want to love you that way, God. It'd be like me telling my wife, babe, I know, I know you like gifts, and I know you like presents, and I know you like flowers, but frankly, it's not my personality. I don't like flowers. I'm not buying them for you. There would not be, don't miss this, much manifested love in that house. Not everybody climbs the mountain and experience the transcendence of God when we gather on Sundays, but some of you do. Why? Because you make the decision to climb the mountain and worship the Lord, and you encounter him in a way that other people don't get to encounter him. Friends, the invitation to us to gather and to experience this is there. Look at how 2 Corinthians 3 talks about this moment. It's referring back to what happened on the mountain. It's also referring back to what happened in Exodus with Moses. It says this, it says, but when one person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And now the Lord who is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, we all, 
who have been redeemed, who have been saved, who have given our heart and our love to Jesus, we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Some of us are not experiencing the transformation of Jesus, not because we're not reading the word, not because we're not doing the word, but because we are not with unveiled faces coming and worshiping and beholding the glory of God. There's a manifest presence that awaits us in these mountaintop experiences that transcends and moves us. And friends, Jesus longs to remove the veil so that you can see God. There should be nothing that separates you and I from the presence of God. He's moved the veil. It's as accessible as you want it to be. It's as accessible as I want it to be. I can go into the presence of God and you can go into the presence of God. He abides in you, yes, but he also wants to make himself known among you in a manifested way. And when we go, we are moved, we are changed, we are transformed from glory of God to glory of God, just like Jesus in the veil being pulled back on the Mount of Transfiguration and the disciples with unveiled eyes saw the glory of God there for themselves. And there's something that we can experience that transforms us. The mountaintop matters. But those mountaintop experiences Friends, they shape our identity. You have an identity in Jesus that maybe you are aware of and maybe you're not. It's those experiences with God on the mountaintop, those moments with God where he gets to speak affirmation over you. He gets to speak identity over you that's unlike anything else. What did God do on the mountaintop in Matthew chapter 17? Pulled it back. They saw the glory of Jesus. And then something else happened. God spoke from heaven. This is the second time it's happened in the scriptures. There will be a third time throughout the gospels that this happens. But this second time is powerful. They were there. The heavens open. His glory radiance. Everything is shining. It's so transcendent, amazing. An encounter with God and the presence there in the moment. And then he says this. This is my beloved son. And in him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When we have encounters with God, we are giving God the opportunity to speak identity over us. And you need to have identity of God spoken over you. Eric Erickson coined the phrase identity crisis. First one to talk about identity crisis. This is what he says. He says, in the social jungles of the human existence, there is no feeling of being alive without a sense of identity. One of the saints of old, and I forget off the top of my head which one said it, but they said this, that the glory of God is man being fully alive. In other words, when your identity in Christ is firmly shaped in you, and you come alive to that, you then get to reflect the full glory of God because that's who he intended you to be all along. When you have these mountaintop experiences, you get to have your identity shaped by him. Friends, can I, can I warn you? The enemy of your soul wants to attack your God-given identity. And some of the biggest mountains and challenges you will face in your life and in your life of faith will rest squarely on self-inflicted and rooted from moments of insecurity in your life. 
Jesus wants to speak identity over you. The Father wants to speak identity over you. And you will not fully rise up to the level and to the strength of faith that God designed for you to have, for you to walk in, and for you to experience in this life when you are crippled with your own insecurity. The enemy is after your identity. He wants you to think that you get to define your identity, that you get to self-identify in any way, shape, or form that you want, that you get to remind yourself of who you are. And, and, And friends, lest you think I'm just speaking about current social issues, I'm talking about Christians who have yet to discover that God calls them righteous, but they still calling themselves wretched. There's an identity from heaven that he wants to speak over you and over me. And our identity as followers of Jesus is the same identity as Christ had. Not the same divinity, but the same identity. Listen to how Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 2. He says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, pointless, worthless. He says, it's not me who lives. But it's Christ who lives in me. And this life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, listen. When you stepped into the waters of baptism and you went down under the waters, you buried the old you. The wretched, the depraved, the sinful, the the decaying, the unbelieving, the pagan, the selfish, the adulterer, the liar, the cheater, the thief. You buried that sucker in the ground and you were raised to an identity as Christ. But some of you are zombies. You died but are still walking around. You think that you have to live as the old version of you walking around. But you're like a zombie because that person has already been crucified with Christ. And you're walking around like it's still alive. It's not. You've been crucified, put on your new nature. You've been made new in who Jesus is. And when you get alone with God, God will speak the identity over you and tell that zombie sucker to stay in the ground. Those old bones ain't needing to walk around no more. And instead you live in Christ. Look at how he says it in Romans 8. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit. If you have the spirit of God living in you. Pause. Not every person has the spirit of God living in them. John chapter 1 says those who believe put their faith, their allegiance in who Jesus is as a son. To them he gave the right to be called children of God. And to them he gives their spirit without measure. John 3.35. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them don't belong to him at all. But Christ lives in you. And so even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Oh, this is such good news. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges. You have no obligation to get out of the grave as the zombie. You don't have to. 
No obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you're going to die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put, on, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, our children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own child. Now we call him Abba Father for his Spirit joins with our spirits to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's, what's this next word? Oh, so you can go to the mountaintop and behold with unveiled face the very glory of God. You can have an encounter with the spirit of God in worship because he's given you that right as his heir and his child. I don't feel worthy to lift my hands. That's because you're not, but through Jesus you are. And he is trying to speak affirmation to us. Listen, what, what are these scriptures saying? You were died, you buried, you raised in Christ. He gave you a new nature, no longer slaves, now a son and heir. Listen, what does that mean? That means what God speaks about Jesus, he speaks about you. What did he speak about Jesus? You are my dearly loved child. I'm well pleased with you. You, you bring me joy. Zephaniah 3.17 says it like this. I think that's where it's found. Uh, yeah, Zephaniah 3.17 says that for the belief, for, for those who are in relationship with God, listen, that are sons and daughters of God, here's what it says, that God is rejoicing and singing over you. You make God so happy as a son and daughter that he's walking around the heavenly singing a song, whistling while he works because he's delighted in you. Not disgusted, delighted. Delighted. Oh, is it because you're so delightful and such a pleasant little one? No. It's because you're having your faith in Jesus and that old unpleasant one has been buried in the ground. You left the zombie there and you were raised, seated, hidden in Christ Jesus. Your identity is shaped and formed by Jesus. And that's what God speaks over you. Every week we stand, almost every week, and I pronounce a blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. In other words, it's his power that blesses you. It's his salvation that keeps you, not you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you. May he lift up his countenance. What's his countenance? Disgruntled? Disgusted? No. Zephaniah 3, he's delighted. He's smiling. Every week we leave from this gathering and I want some of the last words that you hear to know that you are blessed. You are chosen and called and adopted by God. That his face is towards you. His radiance is awaiting you. And he's pleased and joyful in delight, smiling at you. And some of you, your faces need to be reminded that God is smiling so you can smile too. Yeah. 
chill with the curmudgeon, grumpy, sour face all the time. Smile. Some of you feel attacked. I'm sorry. (laughs) But the reason you don't smile is because you're not convinced God is smiling. And you need to hear God is smiling. Because you're his son and his daughter. And he paid a really, really high price to adopt you. Friends, these God encounters speak life over identity. Here's the third thing that I wanted to highlight today. These encounters with God, they shape our identity, but they also are meant to help us realize we need to develop some strength in our faith. They didn't stay on the mountaintop, did they? They had to go down the mountain. What was waiting for them down at the mountain? An opportunity for ministry. An opportunity to take the the, the awe-inspiring new understanding of who God is and who God has made them to be down the mountain to attack the enemy and to push back the dark forces that were surrounding and encountering this young boy. And the disciples were trying. I mean, they wanted to. Kudos to the disciples for trying to cast this demon out, for trying to heal. Some of you wouldn't have even tried. I wouldn't have even tried. I'd be like, yeah, I don't know. Let's just give it a little bit of, see what God does. Let's get, why don't we read a book? Why don't we um, spend some time, go memorize some scripture? If I had time, I would tell you stories of when that wasn't true in my life. Of moments where on at least five different occasions, the demonic started to manifest. I don't believe in that. Pause. Does God's spirit manifest among us? Okay. That one wasn't rhetorical. (laughs) Thank you. Does that mean the enemy's presence wants to manifest among us? Yeah. But when you have a strength of faith, hell itself must flee. Jesus came down the mountain and there was an encounter. His disciples were trying, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said, you have so little faith. Now, Jesus wasn't insulting them. He wasn't berating them. In fact, this word little doesn't refer to amount. It refers to more scope or strength. He was saying it's not that you don't have any faith. It's that the faith that you have is hitting its limit. It's capped. You can't, there are certain limits you can't do if your faith isn't strong enough to do it. I've used this illustration before and it's worth using it again. I, your pastor, in all of the intriguing specimen physically that I am, have the same muscles that Patrick Mahomes has. Pause for laughter. It's okay. 
Some of you are in complete disbelief. No, you don't. I've seen Patrick. Oh, I've seen Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, yeah, me too. He has the same muscles I do. His are just stronger. His are just stronger. They've been developed. They've been in the weight room. My muscles have certain limits to what it can achieve. His muscles have less of those limits because he's built his strength. Are are you catching this? Jesus wasn't saying you don't have faith. He said you have faith. It's like mustard seed small. And that's all you really need. But there is a strength of faith that you don't have and you're hitting your limit. You're trying to do the heavy work of the kingdom of God. But you don't have a developed strength to lift that. But you can. In fact, in the parallel passage in Mark chapter 9, and I think it's Luke chapter 9, you see this exact occurrence, the transfiguration. They come down, they encounter this boy and his father. And, and in Mark's gospel, he, he records it. And in the New King James, it says it like this. The reason you couldn't cast this demon out, the reason you were, were overpowered by the evil and you couldn't push back the dark forces is because this kind only is pushed back. This kind only is removed. This kind only moves and goes away. This kind is only pushed back through prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting are what develop our strength of faith to push back the enemy's advances in our life. Light bulbs should start going off in your head right now. Aha moments are hitting some of you. Oh, you mean that the reason I keep struggling with this addiction is because it's not that I haven't talked about it or done it, but there's an element of pushing back the demonic force that I need to do, but my faith is limited to do it. That's what I'm saying, yes. Are you saying that I'm so bound and struggling and there are things that I keep accounting and I keep feeling like I'm hitting my limits with God? And I'm not growing anymore. Are you saying because I keep hitting the limit and if I want to raise the limit, I've got to get back into the spiritual gym? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Some of you are so crippled by your insecurity, you don't have the faith to believe the identity that God is trying to give you. It's because there's a limit in your faith right now. And the only way to strengthen your faith is to get back in the gym and practice exercising your faith. And Jesus said, there are some things that you you won't overcome. You're not going to push back the forces. You're not going to experience victory because your faith is limited right now. And you keep falling and you keep worrying and you keep going back to the same sinful patterns and you keep going back to the same sorry attitudes and you keep going back to the same legalism trying to earn your way instead of trusting God for it. You keep trying to be ritualistic and God is inviting you into a relationship. You keep trying to have joy but you keep showing up with bitterness on your face and sourness on your face and loneliness all around you and feeling depressed all the time. It's because there is a limit to your faith and you've reached it but you don't have to stay there. You can grow your faith you can strengthen your faith how pastor prayer and fasting fasting is when we intentionally remove food 
and instead we engage in prayer and communion with God. Oh yeah, I love fasting. I intermittent fast all the time. Great, not the same. When you intermittent fast and you fast for health reasons, the end goal is still all about you. But when you biblically fast, you're disengaging from things that you look to as your source and instead are tapping into a different source. Fasting and prayer. It's, yeah, but I don't really like that particular exercise. Is there another exercise I can do? Friends, I hate fasting. Like, I don't like it. Because I like food. Which is why Patrick Mahomes is reaching limits that I can't even think about yet. Fasting and prayer. Did, did you know that one of the hallmarks, one of the, the, the practices of the early church for centuries was that they fasted every Wednesday and every Friday? It's just what they did. It's like you go to church and you say prayers before you meal. It's just what you do. This would be something that they just did. Why? Because they knew that the enemy of their soul was advancing and trying to sabotage their identity and they had to push him back. They knew that there were things at work that they needed to experience the transcendent moment and the empowerment of God and the only way to do that is to have limits removed in our faith so that we can have the faith to experience God. Everything in the kingdom of God is accessed through faith. That means if you're going to access all of the kingdom of God, there is a strength of faith that you must develop. And this element of fasting and prayer is required to develop strength of faith in your life. Whether you like it or not, that's the exercise. That's the way. That's the promise of God. Friends, our battle in our current day is not really about lukewarm Christianity. It's not even necessarily about casual Christianity. The greatest battle, I think, is more about carnal Christianity, which has to do with our identity and our self-centeredness. And the only way to kick that self-centeredness to the curb is to start denying your flesh and engaging with the Spirit more. That's what you do when you fast and pray. You tell your flesh to sit down and take a back seat so that you can engage with the Spirit of God. I want to challenge you. I want to invite you. Will you join me in the gym of your faith. Every Wednesday, fast and pray with me. Sunrise to sundown, fast and pray with me. Let's get back in the gym. Let's remove some of the limits of our faith. Let's see God. Let, let's go back to what the early church already knew that we have somehow forgotten that there is a strength of faith that awaits us when we get back into the spiritual disciplines and exercise known as fasting and prayer. S some of you, you're like, I don't know, I, I could, can I do two instead of three? Yeah, don't be legalistic. Just do it. Just do it. Some of you are like, 
you know some of the medications you're on. You're at a certain stage in your life where fasting multiple meals is not good for you. Don't fast. Please don't. What I'm not asking you to, to buffet your body in a way that's totally contradicting the wisdom of doctors. No, God's given you doctors. Listen to them. Fast other things. Maybe no sugar. Maybe no, no, no sweet drinks. Maybe give up coffee that day. Do, do something. If because of medical reasons, because of medications, you can't do it, then, then, then please make the adjustment. Please, 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 please. And some of you are like, oh yeah, I've got a medical condition. It's called hangriness. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> Don't lower the... St- Only way to develop the strength is to do the exercise, friends. I want want to say something to those of you that um, consider faith church. It's your home. This is your house. This is, I'm I'm, I'm your pastor. Our elders, we're your leaders. If that's what you consider yourself and where, where you're at, please hear me. When you're in the mountaintops and you get a perspective from heaven, you see things that are coming on the horizon that you don't see if you're not on the mountaintop. Church, get ready. It's time to develop strength now for what's coming in the future. Get ready. Get in the gym. Join me Wednesdays, fasting prayer, sunrise, sundown. I, I, I realize that that statement about get ready sounds really, really ominous. And here's all I'm meaning. On the mountaintop, you see things. But when you come down the mountain, there's ministry and people who need to be set free. They need the strength of faith that God is asking you to develop. And it's good stewardship to start developing it right now. Let's develop the strength, friends. Would you stand with me as we come to a moment of response today? We had planned to do communion in this moment. But you can just take your communion elements and put them in your pocket. And later today, take communion as a family. And I want to remind you what communion does, though. Communion reminds you of the price tag of your adoption. The bread, his body, the juice, his blood. That was the price tag for him to adopt you. And he paid it. And that's what we remember. So in communion, we remember we've been adopted. And we're called children of God. So remind yourself and your family later today with the communion elements. Would you bow your heads for a second? And I I really felt the Lord wanted you to ask one question today. Just ask the Lord right there in a whisper, Lord, how do you see me?
ask the Lord, Lord, how do you see me? Some of you are seeing pictures of a little child just full of joy and exuberance. Some of you, maybe you're seeing a picture of feeling isolated and dark and alone, and the Lord's inviting you to come back to him. Some of you are seeing yourself shaky, trying to stand, but you're not sure you have the strength, and the Lord is going to come, and he's going to show you that he's standing right there with you. Some of you are just hearing the words you loved. Family, delight, joy. You're hearing different things. Hear the Lord speak affirmation over you. Father, I pray that in this moment we would seal those things that we've heard you whisper to us. We wouldn't let the enemy come and deceive us thinking that you didn't say it, that it wasn't real. Lord, we know that you speak to us. So Lord, we ask that you would help us to treasure those things and seal those things in our heart. And Father, I pray that today you would bless us and keep us. You would make your face radiantly bright shine on us. That you would lift your countenance towards us in delight and joy. And we would experience your peace. I pray this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, demonstrating love, and in the Holy Spirit who abides in us forever, we pray. And the people of God said, Amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.